Amen. Thank you, ladies. If you have your Bibles, please open them up to 1 John chapter 4. And if you don't have your Bibles, it'll be behind me on the screen, starting with verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. May God bless the reading of his word. Um, as you can see, this, this week is going to be a little bit of a shorter sermon, and it was because I could either write a really long one or two shorter ones. And I'm like, let's see, it's a holiday weekend. Um, I've really put you guys through a lot the last two weeks with my longer sermons. We'll give you a break. Um, <laughs> So, how about we go ahead and continue verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. John continues his letter by calling his readers beloved. As we have seen previously, and we will surely see again, such a term has two distinguishing characteristics. The first is it represents John's relationship with the congregations, writing personally rather than simply as an authority figure. Um, he cares for these, con- for these congregants, as, as has been seen. And likewise, it may represent their relationship to God now that they're in Christ. And that is that they're loved by God. They are beloved by God. Now, regardless of which one it is of these two, in John, the term beloved is often followed by a command. In this case, the command is not to believe every spirit. Belief here does not mean do not believe that they exist or do not exist. Instead, it is a belief in what they are presenting. As opposed to the Spirit of God, which is to be accepted, these spirits are to be evaluated and repelled if necessary. So what are we supposed to do? John informs us that we are to test the spirits. In the New Testament, such testing is attributed to ourselves and to church leaders. In the same way, we are to test and examine the spirits when they are presented. Why should we examine them? to make sure that they are from God or of God. This usage in Greek concerning those from or of God is used 16 times in 1 John and accompanies those who confess Jesus Christ and who likewise practice the ethical and relational lifestyles which accompanies true confession of Jesus Christ. The further answer to this question, why one should examine the spirits, comes um, from the reality that at the time many false prophets have gone out into the world, as John says. There are two things to notice. The first is that these are false prophets. They're false. They are teachers and preachers um, who speak contrary to the doctrinal, the ethical, and relational standard by which Christ set forth through his own life and teachings and further through the apostles. Likewise, you understand that they have gone out into the world. There may be some implication that John has those who have left the congregation in view when writing this, especially since it is easy to remember that the false antichrists, um, who were once part of the congregation in 1 John 2, but are now not. However, it is just as likely as any kind of false prophet, whether they have been professing members of the church or not. These false prophets, whoever they may be, are in the world, And being in the world, they are of the world, and because of that, they are not of or from 
God. We then go to verse 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. John does not only inform us that we are to test the spirits, but also informs us how we are to test them. By implication, when we test the spirits, we are seeking to find whether they are of God or not. The Spirit of God represents the Holy Spirit, who has been given to those who are in Christ, and who is working the anointing within the believers. Likewise, when John says, by this, he is looking forward to how we can find out if a spirit is from God or not. The chief way, then, is whether that spirit confesses confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. For us who have um, been in the Christian tradition for so long, and it's so ingrained in us, such a test might seem unnecessary, since we understand Jesus was both fully human and fully divine. Yet this Christological understanding did not materialize until the Nicene Creed and the Constantinople Creeds. And that was about 325 to 400 AD. Before this time, there were a number of heresies that were developed, um, and one of them was Docetism. The Docetists held that Jesus did not have a physical form, but instead was a phantasm, or only a spiritual being. As such... John would have ample argument against this such a view, since he was one who knew Christ in the flesh, as we learned in 1 John 1, 1 1-5. Therefore, John can remind us that a spirit who confesses as Jesus has come in the flesh is speaking truthfully on doctrinal matters, most importantly, the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. We then come to verse 3. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. While it is true that the spirits can come from God, it is also true that a spirit may not come from God. Or at least, they are not from God in that they are trying to deceive rather than encourage faithfulness. In this case, we see the reason why it is necessary for us to test the spirits in hopes of distinguishing the two. The way John recognizes a spirit is not from God is if they do not confess Jesus. In this case, it is the opposite of the statement found in the previous verse. Where does this spirit then originate? John states that the spirit who is not of God originates from the spirit of the Antichrist. John previously stated the coming of the Antichrist in chapter 2, as we saw earlier. Now there is a recognition that this is not the Antichrist in person, but the spirit of the Antichrist who would teach erroneously concerning doctrines, ethics, and relation in love. This Antichrist was said to be coming into the world, and it did not take long for this Antichrist, the spirit of it anyway, to arrive on the scene. It had already begun its work very early in the church by attempting to sway people into false teachings, as we see. So it is at this point, The spirit of the world, the work of the devil, the spirit of the Antichrist is in the world already to mislead if possible. Now this leads us to our main point. The main point of these verses are to reflect on the reality of false spirits. Because false spirits exist, we must be prepared to recognize and distinguish between those who are true versus those who are false. Those who are of God versus those who are of the Antichrist in nature, and like the children of the devil, of the devil. So, this leads us to our applications. In the scriptures, the term spirit can be used to describe two-ish things. 
The first kind of things are good and most often represent angels. And the second kind are evil. And while often synonymous with demons, they do not always have to make that connotation, as we'll see soon. Today we have evidence of both of these, those who are good versus those who are evil. The question we want to ask is, what do these beings do in the scriptures? How are they described? It is with this that we turn our thoughts over to the spirits. Not like in a weird way. (laughs) To begin, we look at angels. As a warning, this is by no means a complete survey. Future reference. In the Pentateuch and Judges, the angel of the Lord often appears to convey messages. We are not sure who the angel of the Lord is as described in the text, but from these sources we can learn early that the angels are often used by God to convey messages from him to people. Likewise, we learn in the histories that angels were used by God to bring about wrath. Um, These two particular themes, especially when it comes to bringing messages, occurs in the prophets as well. And we can think of Isaiah, Daniel, Zechariah, all of them have angels who bring the messages. In the New Testament, angels continue their work as messengers, the first of which occurs with Zechariah in Luke 1, Mary in Luke 1, and Joseph in Matthew 1. After this, in Matthew 2 and Luke 2, angels are used by God to further proclaim the good news of the coming of Jesus into the world to the shepherds. Following this was the angel who told Joseph to flee to Egypt in Matthew 2. Yet, we also find another aspect of angels in the New Testament. In Matthew 4, for example, after Jesus is tempted in the desert, we find angels who minister to Jesus. Their ministering likely included physical sustenance, since at this point Jesus had fasted for 40 days and nights, as well as encouragement against the wiles of the devil. This is further seen in Luke 22:43, where an angel is seen strengthening Jesus while he prayed on the Mount of Olives in Gethsemane before his execution. Most would consider this to be the end of angels until Revelations, but that is simply not true. In the book of Acts, we find the disciples encountering angels rather often, whether it is Philip in Acts 8, Cornelius after Paul's conversion in chapter 10 and chapter 11, an angel informs a man from Caesarea to send for Peter to proclaim the gospel for salvation, which one wonders why it has to be Peter and not the angel who proclaims the gospel, but that's a completely different topic. Um, chapter 11, an angel informs him, oh no, just kidding, in chapter 12, an angel aids Peter's escape from prison, as we remember, and then later in chapter 27, when Paul encourages those who are about to be shipwrecked, that all of them will make it out alive. An angel tells him that, and then he further encourages everyone else. Likewise, in the book of Hebrews, we find angels being inferior to Jesus in chapter 1, and then at the end of the chapter, The author says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are are to inherit salvation? And likewise, we find in Hebrews 13.2 an encouragement towards strangers, for some have entertained angels unaware. Finally, in Revelation, we see many spirits doing the bidding of God. In this case, they are used as messengers to pour out wrath and even perhaps to watch over congregations. Likewise, in Revelation, we find angels worshiping God day and night in chapters 4 and 5, which represents Isaiah 6, or reflects it anyway. In all of these, angels are used by God for his divine purposes, whether they bring messages, pour out wrath, give encouragement, or simply watch over the elect and minister to them. We see that they have specific roles to fill within the world. While many of these specific titles, angels, 
Um, others have the term spirit, which is used as a synonym within the context for angels. And what I mean by that is that there's a specific term, angelos, which means angels, and then pneumos, which means spirit, and sometimes they're just synonymous. However, this term spirit, so pneumos, however, is more often used to describe more sinister elements. These include demons, evil, general evil, uncleanness, and false prophecy. Likewise, we receive this understanding of the spirit of the world in 1 Corinthians 12.2, which is a reflection of the world itself as found in 1 John 2. It is a futility of the mind, living in sin and immorality. As we can see, these evil spirits are not just demons, but also false doctrines, false lifestyles, which are not in congruence with Jesus Christ or the gospel, but instead in darkness of the fallen world. As it is, these spirits are enemies of those who belong to Christ. They seek to destroy through deceptions and keep those who are in the world away from the light and bring them further into the present evil age. It is because of these spirits that we must subject the spirits to testing. When we consider all of these spirits which rise against us, it makes sense for John to include this section of warning and encouragement to the congregations. In some capacity, the spirits aligned with the Antichrist will make itself known against us, and it already has made itself known in many ways. When we consider these spirits, it may cause us to remember what Paul says, too, in Ephesians, um, in chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done well to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the sword of God, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints, and also for me, and the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Now these are all practical ways to stand against evil spirits in whatever form they may take. By reminding ourselves of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ presented to us in the scriptures, by placing on our chests the breastplate of righteousness, remembering our righteousness is found in Christ, and in this way we can live righteously, our shoes being the gospel of peace, which we make firm footholds with our steps, the shield of faith, which will block the darts of the evil one, whatever form they may take. The helmet of salvation, remembering that salvation gives us a newness of mind, body, and soul. By equipping ourselves with the sword of the Spirit, the word of God to combat the evil spirits, just as Jesus did while he was in the desert. Likewise, we are to pray in the Spirit. And this reflects back onto what John has said. Though there may be many spirits which would rise against us, we can be sure of this, that there is one spirit 
who is above and greater than all other spirits. And that is the Holy Spirit who is in us, working our anointing in us. This Spirit will not lead us astray into false teachings or lifestyles, nor will it allow us to fall into loveless relationships. Instead, it will encourage us by teaching us the truth of the one who abides in us and in whom we abide in. As we continue on this road of faith, we will encounter the spirit of the age, and that spirit will present itself in many different ways, different spirits, so to speak. These spirits may not be represented may not be represented as spirits, but some may come to us in different avenues, through false teachers or prophets who claim Jesus, or false teachers from outside of the faith. Though they may be coming from humans, it is evident that they originate with the evil spirits who are opposed to Jesus Christ. These people may or may not be demonically possessed, but they still are being influenced by these spirits. So the the encouragement of John is for us to be on guard and to be able to understand the spirits that will come in these different directions. Whether they present false doctrines, false lifestyles, or false relationships, we must know the gospel in order to stand firm against the spirits. It is here we have hope. Though they are many, the truth of God will always overcome that which is false. So be encouraged to stand against the spirits, to test them, and to resist them if they are from the Antichrist. To be willing to take the side of Jesus Christ against the Antichrist, and remain faithful to him and his word above all else. Now this leads us to our second point, Jesus in the flesh. This is going to be a minor point, and I wrote that before I actually wrote it, and it ended up being a normal point, so sorry about that, I lied. But something to consider with that, with what John has said, is that the way we are to test the spirits. We are to test them to see if they concur with Jesus coming in the flesh. As we saw, this may be a reflection of the cessationists or others who were teaching falsely concerning Jesus Christ. The question we want to ask, though, is, is this enough of an inquiry for us to know whether one is of God or not? This, in a way, should cause us to recollect on the Old Testament. Back then, there were false prophets just as there were true prophets. Both prophets claimed to be speaking from God. So the question is, how did they know and how do we know which prophets are those we should listen to? How are we to know who is a prophet of God? And using the terminology of 1 John, a prophet of the Antichrist. There are two places we can look in the Old Testament, and both are in Deuteronomy. The first is from chapter 13. If a prophet or a dreamer dreams arises among you, or of dreamer of dreams, arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. 
Likewise, a few chapters later, we read in 18, But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you you say in your heart, How may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is the word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. So there are two ways, according to these texts, to know if a prophet is from God. The first is whether or not the sign or whatever it is comes to pass. If it does not come to pass, then the word of the Lord has not been spoken. Yet what if it does come to pass? Well, if the prophet says that they should seek other gods and serve them rather than the holy God of Israel, then they will know that this man, despite having an accurate prediction is not a true prophet of God. If, however, it does come to pass, and the prophet should say to seek God, then they can know that the prophet is true. Two things, then, that we can see in this. The first is doctrinal, and the second is lifestyle. Doctrinally, it is seeking other gods. And lifestyle-wise, it is serving other gods. The different gods had different forms of service, and these were evident in the individual's lifestyles. The same is said of the God of Israel. To serve him was to live a lifestyle in conformity to him through his law. When we read, then, this doctrinal statement as a means of finding out if the Spirit is from God or not, it would be wise to consider it in full. It is not only doctrinal in the person of Jesus Christ coming in the flesh, but it also has implications of all of who Jesus is and was. His entire identity of coming in the flesh while being the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. John then does not mean to say that this is one doctrinal statement is key, as though the spirits cannot get around saying Jesus has come in the flesh. But instead it represents all of who Jesus is in his teachings and commandments and the gospel. Therefore, any who deny Jesus in any way are not spirits from God. A true spirit from God will always lead us further into faithfully following Jesus Christ. It will not cause us to think of Jesus differently than he is presented in the scriptures as a whole, nor will it deny him the commandments he gave for us to follow. It is doctrinal in nature, but as John has so often shown us, our doctrines will affect our lifestyles and our relationships. And to go against any one of these is to go against Jesus Christ, the Son of God who has come in the flesh. Unfortunately, There are many who would go against these very things. We have seen how doctrines will affect lifestyles and how individuals um, and affect individuals to live how they want. Consider homosexuality and transgenderism. These lifestyles begin by going against a doctrinal statement. The doctrinal statement is that male and female are created in the image of God. And because of this, our personhood, including our sexuality, is tied to us biologically according to how we have been created by God as male or female. Going against this doctrinal statement allows individuals to live differently than the doctrinal statement says. Consider the scriptures. Doctrinally, are the scriptures inerrant, infallible, inspired, and altogether sufficient for us? If they are, then you will live in accordance with the scriptures. If they are not, then why would you bother living according to them? 
You wouldn't, and we see the repercussions for congregations who do not hold to the scriptures. Very often, false teachings permeate throughout. One such teaching involves the gospel of Jesus Christ. Doctrinally, does the gospel teach of our utter dependence upon the Son of God for our salvation? And once saved, we will live in accordance to the gospel and all of this for the glory of God. Or... Is the gospel not focused on our salvation from sin and death, but focused on accepting Jesus so he will give us all of our heart's desires? So he will make us healthy and wealthy? This is a false teaching called the prosperity gospel. And yet the largest church in America teaches this very thing, that God just wants to make you healthy and wealthy. These things are false spirits. They are not from or of God. They go against the doctrine set forth in the scriptures and Jesus himself. When tested against Jesus in the flesh and all of who Jesus is and what he commanded, they fail miserably. Yet we all too often blindly follow instead of opening our eyes and questioning the teachings before us. The sad thing is, the list could go on. There are so many different doctrines that get thrown out at us from the world and so many people are deceived by these elements of darkness. It isn't enough for us to agree with something because we may like it. We must be willing to stand against darkness whatever form or shape it takes, even if it sounds displeasing to our ears or if it sounds pleasing to our ears. We must stand on a different foundation than the one which we stand And we must open our eyes to make sure that we are building on the right foundation. It is not enough to seek foundations and build on them with our eyes closed. Thankfully, our eyes can be opened by the gospel of Jesus Christ and they can remain opened by the power of his Holy Spirit within us. It is Jesus himself who will be our foundation. He is our standard to test the spirits of this age. So be encouraged to know Jesus. Know him by not only knowing about him doctrinally and what it means for him to have come in the flesh, but also what it means for us as individuals who have been saved completely from sin and death. That now our lifestyles will be defined by following Jesus Christ and walking in step with his spirit, walking with each other in love. By knowing Jesus, we can combat the darkness and the spirits allied with the Antichrist. But as was previously seen, it requires us to be courageous to do so. It may require us to risk much, but we know whatever risk we may take, and whatever the cost might be, we will gain far more than we may lose when we stand up and in for Jesus Christ. Be wary of false spirits who try to get us to follow them. To follow the spirit of the Antichrist rather than the spirit of God as revealed by his son Jesus Christ. Instead, stand for Christ. Stand for all of who Jesus is and live according to him in all things. He is worthy of being followed. And we know that his light illuminates this dark world. It's with this we consider our world which we live today. When we consider the political systems and its corruptions, and we consider those who would claim to be leaders, claim to even be of Christ, and yet show themselves to be anti-Christ in doctrine and deed, and we consider how many congregations follow the culture rather than Jesus, 
It seems as though the darkness is doing very well. Yet we have hope. Because we know that this darkness does not win in the end. Though it may rise and ebb and flow, in the end Jesus Christ wins. And those who are faithful and remain in him will stand victorious over this dark world. This is possible because of what Jesus has done in his gospel. And so the gospel begins with our origins. In the beginning was God. He created all the cosmos, all the universe, according to the power of his word. Last of all, he created humanity to bear his image. It is because God is a God of love, of reason, he knows, can be known, has personhood, morality, and displays hesed, we can as well. It is here we find sanctity, dignity, and worth to human life, though all the world says no such thing exists. Like God, however, we are also able to choose. We choose. We could either choose to follow God in obedience into life or sin in disobedience and death. As humans, as a human race, we chose the latter and have continued to make that choice ever since. Because of this, our relationships with God, ourselves, each other, and the world are broken. It is because of our sin we continue to accrue a greater and greater moral guilt before God every day. Not a feeling of guilt, but true guilt before a righteous judge. Thankfully, God did not leave us in this state forever. Instead, he sent his light and spoke his word into the darkness, and that was his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again in time, space, history, and flesh. It is by his blood we are bought and redeemed. It is through Christ our relationships are being restored. His victory in life over death becomes our victory over life in life over death. All that is required of us is two things. The first is repentance. We are not to live in a sinful lifestyle according to the world. Instead, we are to live a repentant lifestyle, which is characterized by seeking to glorify God with our lives. We are to turn away from our sin and turn toward God. We are to live according to the will of God, which is made known to us through Christ and the scriptures, by which we know to walk in step with the Spirit in love. The second is faith in Christ. While it is true that we are to live according to the glory of God, we also recognize our complete and total dependence upon the Son of God for our salvation. It is not that what we do which saves us, but what Christ has done. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the scriptures alone, for the glory of God alone. For those who remain disobedient in these things, there is only judgment. Even our greatest deeds are as filthy rags before our holy and just God. Therefore, they will face judgment for their sins if they do not repent and place their faith in Jesus Christ. For there is no salvation apart from Christ. For those who are obedient, though, there is no longer condemnation. And said they are made sons and daughters of God Most High. They experience the love of God reserved only for those who are in Christ Jesus. They will be glorified and become co-heirs of an eternal kingdom, while they will experience the peace of God forevermore. My hope is that we would test the spirits. We would not fall sway to any form of teaching or prophetic message which would come our way, but that we would test them against the scriptures and the Messiah which they proclaim. Therefore, stand firm on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Though the devil, the world, should give many false teachers and spirits, we know that God will not let us slip from his grasp if we remain faithful to him and his word. Amen. Let us go to Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you for what you have done through your son, Jesus Christ. 
And though there are so many enemies who come about and surround us on all sides, we know that we have a mighty fortress, and that is you. And that we are surrounded by a host of your angels, Lord, who protect us and watch over us because it is your will. And we know, Lord, that you yourself watch over us and you protect us. And Lord, we give thanks for this grace and for this mercy. We give thanks that even though so many arrows of the devil come at us in different ways, through different spirits, in the end your spirit is within us and he is greater than all other spirits combined. And so Lord, cause us to stand for you. Will in us to stand for you against this dark world, to illuminate this dark world according to your word. We thank you again for all that you have done. In your son's name we pray. Amen.